game is never over till the end. Deshaun Lowe's right side. Whenever that clock strikes zero. Caught DeAndre Hopkins. Touchdown, Houston. It's Texans All Access. Texans All Access presented by Daikin, keeping Houstonians comfortable with the latest cooling and heating products designed to save energy and improve indoor air quality inside your home. Check out their outstanding limited warranties and financing options at your local dealer and learn more at DaikinLovesHouston.com. D-A-I-K-I-N LovesHouston.com. Daikin. Here's the show. Welcome, everybody, to Victory Monday from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. It is Texans All Access on a Monday after a victory. How about that? And what a big victory it was. We've talked about it all day. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter. Appreciate you being here with me tonight. We're going to have a little bit from Spencer Tillman, a little bit from Andre Ware later in the show. But I'd like to kick off a Monday show with what happened throughout the league because there's so much to kind of work through if you will with everything that was taking place and took place this weekend in the world of NFL football and it was it was a wild weekend I I got to this point where I truly truly believe that every single week in the NFL is is going to be that way it's just a crazy crazy week and this week, the, this weekend was about that. I mean, it really was. The Texans get a 24-21 win in Nashville. I love going to Nashville. It's one of my favorite trips that we take every year. I love going to Jacksonville. I love going to Indianapolis. We go to Indianapolis twice a year because we go to the Combine. And then I love going to Jacksonville because that's where my wife and I got married. Uh, it was our anniversary yesterday, so happy anniversary, babe, if you're listening, wherever you are. She's avoiding me in Austin. That's ah, for my daughter. I'm just kidding. But point being, I love going up there. Love going up there and we get a win. And the last few times we hadn't gotten a win. And yeah, I, I you know, and I, I talked about you know, twenty sixteen, the game really didn't matter. They had the division wrapped up and they couldn't move up in the slotting or the seating at all, so it didn't really matter. So you didn't really play a ton of guys that game. And then in twenty seventeen, you went up there and you <laughs> the the receiving core was just beat to you know what, as was everybody in twenty seventeen. I mean the number of players that are out in that game, Sean Watson, JJ Watt. Um, Whitney Merciless, Will Fuller, all the tight ends. There were no tight ends by the end of the game, except for Steven Anderson, who really was just a receiver. So, then lost that one. Then 2018, kind of flipped the script. No Gabbert, no Luan, no Jack Conklin. And they found a way to, and Mariota didn't play. And Blaine Gabbert, they found a way to beat you with Blaine Gabbert. So, oh man. And one here since 2015, but got the win yesterday, 24 to 21, a couple of outstanding performances, number of outstanding performances all the way throughout the roster. Had a 100-yard rusher, Carlos Hyde, 26 for 104 and a touch. Deshaun threw for over 243 and two touchdowns. DeAndre Hopkins had a 100-yard receiver, 6 for 119. Will, 5 for 61, but keep in mind, those five, I should say and, those five all went for first downs. Kenny Stills, three catches, Two of those went for touchdowns, the first two touchdowns the Texans would uh, have on the day. Whitney Merciless, interception. Justin Reed, two touchdown-saving plays. Zach Cunningham, 14 tackles, half a sack, a quarterback hit. Bernardrick McKinney, nine tackles, half a sack, and a quarterback hit. Quarterback, uh, the Texans had six hits on the quarterback, including Charles Amenahu's final 
sack of Ryan Tannehill. I know somewhere there was probably uh, a University of Texas fan being very, very excited of a Longhorn tackling Aggie. I'm sure that Landry Locker brought that up with John Lopez at some point today uh, during their show, and if he didn't, well, then he missed out. But it was a truly team win. I mean, I just look up and down the roster and guys that made plays. A.J. Moore came in and blitzed a couple of times. He got pressure. He got a holding call on the sack that McKinney and Cunningham teamed up for. So if had they, had they not gotten him, he would have drawn a penalty. You had Justin Reed who made those two tremendous plays. You had Gary Conley had a huge breakup uh, down the field that was perfectly, perfectly timed. J.J. had a breakup on the first drive that forced a field goal attempt by the Titans. Lonnie Johnson had the, the punt breakup down the sideline, the fake punt breakup. It was truly a team effort all the way around. And how about the offensive line? I don't think everything that the offensive line does, it, it, there's not a stat for it, but a lot of people dive into, and, and I'll, I'll kind of use this against people because people say, oh, 62 sacks last year. Okay, well, I'm going to use that stat against you. I don't think yesterday it was perfect by any means, but the Titans finished with one sack and one quarterback hit. One sack, one quarterback hit. When last year in week two against the same defense, or it's not really, this this defense is better when you add Jeffrey Simmons to it, Harold Landry his second year. This defense last year had 10 quarterback hits and four sacks on Deshaun. Just the same way that sacks are not all about the offensive line, but there are a lot of people that believe that. All right, if you believe that, then you look at what the offensive line did yesterday with one sack and one quarterback hit. That's it. Simmons. No quarterback hits. In fact, the only tackle for a loss yesterday for the Titans was that sack by Correa. That's it. Simmons, Landry, Casey, none of those three guys, Brown, Rashawn Evans, none of them created a tackle for a loss yesterday. That's an amazing stat. Other than that Correa sack, that's amazing. Now, the Texans only had uh, one tackle, two tackles for a loss, actually, because they got that sack, and then Amenahu got his sack. So, they had two, so there weren't too many things going on behind the line of scrimmage yesterday, but Texans get a 24-21 win. Now, what else happened throughout the NFL? So I love to do, look at what happened, because it was another weekend. That started Thursday night with the Ravens beating the Jets. Mar Jackson, MVP, give it to him, put him on a shelf, get them ready for the playoffs, and maybe we'll see them down the road. That would be kind of fun. So let's get into what happened on Sunday and how it transformed the league. Now, I'm going to start with a game in Carolina and Charlotte where the Seattle Seahawks jumped off to a 13-0 lead. They would hang on for a 30-24 win over the Carolina Panthers. Chris Carson, maybe the most underrated good back in the league. 24 carries, 133 yards, two touchdowns for the Seahawks. Russell did Russell things. Russell Wilson, 20 of 26 for 286 and two touchdowns. That's a 137.7 rating. And the Panthers struggled throwing the football. Kyle Allen, 25 of 41 for 277 and three interceptions. What a day for the Seahawks. They get a win. Now, why was that so important? Well, first of all, oh, by the way, Luke Keekley, 17 tackles. I said today that I wouldn't take a linebacker over Zach Cunningham. I love me some Luke Keekley. I still wouldn't take him over Zach Cunningham, not right now. Keekley's amazing. But he had 17 tackles, so credit to Luke Keekley. I think he's one of the he's one of the top players in this league. There's no doubt. He's been that way for a long time. He's fun to watch. But right now, Zach Cunningham's in a groove. Now, why does that matter maybe more than just, just a win on the East Coast? 
Well, later in the day, the Atlanta Falcons of the NFC South went to take on the NFC West leader and the number one team in the league out in San Francisco. With two seconds left in the game, Matt Ryan found Julio Jones at the goal line. And he was knocked down and it was initially called no touchdown, game over. When they went to review it, Jones indeed got the ball over. The Falcons took a lead, and then the 49ers fumbled the kickoff in the end zone, and Olamides Zakaitis recovered it. That gave the Falcons a 29-22 lead, and gamblers throughout the country who had the under were crying in their beer. 29-22, the Falcons went to New Orleans earlier this year, beat the Saints. They went to San Francisco, beat the Niners. And your Texans beat them by 53-32. to Unbelievable. Julio Jones, nearly unstoppable. 13 catches, 134 yards, and two touchdowns. And, two back, and back-to-back weeks, the Niners gave up 45 to the Saints, 20, actually 22. I guess that's not too bad. But they had 134 yards they gave up to Julio Jones. Now, Julio was targeted 20 times. But he got his and had a big day and got that game-winning touchdown. George Kittle on the other side also caught 13 for 134. The difference is he did not have two touchdowns. So, after last week when the 49ers beat the Saints, they were high on the hog, number one seed. The Seahawks, by virtue of a head-to-head win over the 49ers earlier this year on a Monday night, have taken over as the number one team in the NFC West. They are the number one seed in the NFC. It's nuts. Now, the Saints with a win tonight, there will be three teams tied at 11-3 and three atop the NFC. The Packers at 11-3, and three, the Saints would be at 11-3, and three, and then the Seahawks with this win went to 11-3. and three. You got all kinds of crazy stuff, and I I want to say, uh, I want to say that Green Bay is that right? Yeah, eleven three Seahawks, eleven and three. The Saints can be eleven and three. So yeah, you got a lot going on in the NFC, man. It is crazy, crazy. Now in the AFC, the Ravens are the top seed. Who's going to be number two? Well, there was a little consternation going on in New England for a while. They got off to just just. A 13-10 lead against Cincinnati. And Cincinnati was hanging in the game. Nick Folk knocked home a field goal right before the half to make it 13-10. Then, well, reality set in. Nikhil Harry caught a touchdown. Stephon Gilmore returned one for a touchdown. And Rex Burkhead finished it off against his old team. Patriots win 34-13. Brady, just 15 of uh, 29, did throw two touchdowns. Here's a key one to keep in mind. Julian Edelman only had two catches for nine yards. He was targeted five times, but he's dealing with a knee issue, and it's seemingly not getting any better. If this offense is without Julian Edelman, oh, my goodness. The Bengals hung in there for a half. I don't know what that really means, but now the Patriots get ready, just like us, to play on Saturday. So your Saturday games pretty salty, to be honest with you. You've got our game against the Buccaneers, which is going to be all kinds of fun if you like shootouts, I guess. Then after that, you got Bills-Patriots in Foxborough. And then at night, you got Rams-Niners in San Francisco. The Rams are hanging on by their chinny-chin-chin to a playoffs, 
to to playoff hopes. But a loss to the 49ers ends that. A loss by the Niners will almost automatically make them the wild card. Going from the first seed to a wild card like that shows you how good the NFC West has been. But that's next week. But Patriots get a 34-13 win over the Bengals. Now, the Chiefs, that's one team we're keeping an eye on because if they lose and the Texans win, then the Texans would have the tiebreaker. The Texans are one game behind now at 9-5. and five. The Chiefs went to 10-4 and four in a snowstorm in Kansas City. Patrick Mahomes in a snowstorm completed 27-34 of 34 for 340 and two touchdowns. He did throw a pick, but his guy on this day was Travis Kelsey outside the end zone, 11 for 142. Travis, uh, Tyreek Hill, excuse me, to the end zone, 5 for 67, a long of 41, and two touchdowns for Tyreek. Drew Locke, yeah, a little aggression to the mean, or homeostasis, if you will. 18 of 40 for 208, one interception, a rating of 50.8 after just lighting up NRG Stadium. So Drew Locke eh, kind of came back to the pack a little bit. Chiefs get the win 23-3, to and the Chiefs stay one game ahead of the Texans as we head into week 16. Next week, Chiefs have the Chicago Bears in Chicago. So is there hope? And it will be a Sunday night game. So your Sunday viewing, and we'll go through this throughout the week, but next Sunday, you'll want to watch Panthers and Colts, I don't, you, you really won't care too much about the Colts if the Colts lose tonight to the Saints. But as your noon games on Sunday, you'll pay attention to Saints and Titans in Nashville. You'll also Sunday night want to know what's going on with the Chiefs and the Bears. So Saturday, you've got those three games. I mean, obviously starting with us against the Bucks, but Those three games are outstanding. Then Sunday afternoon, you want to know what's going on Saints-Titans. Sunday night, you're going to get Chiefs-Bears, and you're rooting like hell for Mitchell Trubisky. That's what you want to have happen. You want it to happen. So we'll see. But your next week viewing schedule, ooh. But this week, the Chiefs, if you like snow games, you probably turn it on for a few minutes, maybe after the Texans if you have it on your DVR. But the Chiefs get a 23-3 win over the Broncos. In the AFC South, the Jags went to Oakland. It was the last game at Oakland Almeda County Coliseum. The last game ever. And the Raiders had a 16-3 lead at half. No way they could lose. They're not losing the last game. They're not going to. Wait. They can't lose the last. They lost the last game in Oakland Almeda Coliseum. Josh Jacobs did uh, rack up 89 yards. Derek Carr sacked four times. And did throw a touchdown, but they were unable to hang on to the lead. Why? Minshew magic to Chris Conley twice. 79-yard drive, got it within three at 16-13. And then with 31 seconds left, Conley, touchdown, wins it 20-16 to in Oakland. The Jags are mathematically eliminated, which I kind of thought they would be. This season has not gone as I expected. I expected them to be 7-9, but you can go back and listen to all my preseason shows. I had a feeling that the Jags were not going to be as good as a lot of people thought for numerous reasons. Now, I didn't foresee Minshew taking over for Foles, and I certainly 
didn't think that Jalen Ramsey would get traded midway through the season. I didn't think Ramsey was going to be long for the Jags. I thought maybe they'd get rid of him, but not at the end of the year. But if you told me that, I would have thought it would have been worse. So come out 5-9 and nine and a win over Oakland, good on the Jags. The report, though, before the game is that it could be a massive cleaning of the house there in Jacksonville, so we'll keep an eye on that. But on this Sunday, the Jags get a 20-16 to 16 win. The Buccaneers, they beat up the Lions. The Lions might have the worst defense in the league. Their pass defense is flat-out brutal. 38-17, to 17, Jameis goes big. 458, four touchdowns, did throw a pick. Godwin, five catches. It looks like he's going to be out this week. Brett Perryman had five for 113. They didn't run the ball, and they don't run the ball very well. But they can sling it with the best of them. And that was the difference. 38-17, the Lions got back in this thing and got it 24-17. But then the Buccaneers scored twice in the fourth quarter. A Sean Bunting, oh, I loved him out of Central Michigan. 70-yard interception return. Brett Perryman then caught one from Winston to make it 38-17. And the Bucs win 7-7 and now. They're out of the playoff race, but they have become a very dangerous opponent, and I am not looking forward to this Saturday to face that offense. But it looks like it will be an offense without Chris Godwin and Mike Evans at receiver, which should certainly at least help a little bit. A little bit. But Jameis is on fire. He'll find people to throw to. I just throw he'll I hope he throws it to the guys in the white jerseys, which is gonna be us. Eagles beat the Redskins thirty seven twenty seven. Cowboys beat the Rams 44-21. Those two stay atop the NFC East. And looky here, week 16, you've got Cowboys v. Eagles in Philly. The NFC East on the line in that game. Boy, that's gonna be, it's going to be a really fun weekend coming up. But they both win, get big wins, and eh, who knows? Maybe one of them get the 9-7. and seven. Might look respectable to win the division at that point. But we will see on Sunday. So there you go. Those are, well, it was around the NFL with our hot reads brought to you by Geico. 15 minutes to save you 15% or more on motorcycle and or car insurance. All right, coming up, let's talk to Spencer Tillman. He has a pretty good feel for what he saw on Sunday. We'll talk to him about this game against the Titans and move forward to the Bucks next. Texans All Access. This goes out to all my Houston area teachers. You want to bring a little Texas football to your classroom? Oh, of course you do. Then sign up for Toro's Matros, presented by ConocoPhillips. Toro's Matros is a video series designed to help third and fourth graders learn how to tackle math in the classroom. Go to HoustonTexans.com slash Toro's Matros to learn more. Welcome back to this Monday edition of Texans All Access from the Monday Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris, your host, football analyst and sideline reporter. And we are soon to be joined by our good friend Spencer Tillman, who... Obviously played the running back position, knows it very well, and has seen the great things that Carlos Hyde has done. Let's start with Carlos Hyde. Over 1,000 yards now, over 100 yesterday, a great performance performance by him. But I know you're going to tell me, and it's true, that it's an ensemble effort. They all contributed, but what a day for him. Yeah, it was impressive and uh, good to see him get 1,000. I don't think anybody would have imagined you know, if we told you after Lamar Miller went down, the Texans are still going to have a 1,000-yard rusher. I don't think there would be many takers at that point in time. But, again, 
a guy with a narrative, a story, chip on his shoulder, however you want to frame it, is always uh, something special. I, I look for that. We see it, you know, from time to time. Most recently with Denver, you know, and Kareem Jackson coming back in there and have a, a stellar performance. There's something to all of that. I and mean, we play, we're emotional. We play high in certain situations. So I think him coming in with this narrative of not being able to make it despite the success he had at Iowa State, you know, he's a great back. I think he's. Um, it was underrated coming in, and, and congratulations to the coaches for seeing that 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 talent set in him and uh, and for him realizing it because it's tough to do even in a spread era it's tough to do it when you're getting tagged every every time you touch the ball so uh, congratulations to him and the Texans Spencer I'm pretty sure that we talked about this very point last week but it was the other running back we were talking about we we're talking about Derrick Henry and the success that he had had uh, in the previous four games just running over people straight-arming people downfield. I mean, he was an absolute beast. Yet, yesterday, the Texans really held up up front. Lunchpail crew did some great things. The linebackers were phenomenal. How did you feel about the run defense, what it was able to do for the most part of yesterday in slowing Derrick Henry down? Well, the formula is pretty much still the same. I mean, they're not really shutting people down. They're giving some chunk plays up. But, you know, Zach Cunningham, to me, has really emerged as the star. He's showing a level of aggressiveness that I've seen occasionally, but it's more consistent now. And I think what Romeo is doing is allowing him to, to kind of be freer to do some things. I just think overall uh, they're not built to be that, that run-shutdown defense. They're going to play pass defense well. Uh, they're going to mix the coverage up to kind of confuse the guy who before yesterday was white hot, you know, hitting in around 74% completion percentage, which the sample size isn't that great. But, you know, I think you focus on the attention where the expertise has been demonstrated. So if he comes in, um, you know, Tannehill throwing the ball the way he does, I think you don't necessarily – you give up some run plays, but you just make sure he doesn't beat you through the air. So Derrick Henry, I think he came in. I think he was ranked third in the league in rushing. I think the Tennessee Titans are basically a maybe more beefed up, maybe not more prolific uh, form of what the Texans are. I mean, I, I really do that. I do see that they can stretch the ball through the throw game. And I think, as Mark said a minute ago, with Godwin out – uh, you know, look, I think he's going to be out this game, let's face it. When you when you leave as a result of a hamstring on a cart, you're, you're probably not going to be playing that next week. So, uh, And then, then that opens up the mental challenge. How do you respond to that, knowing you've got a game to give? Um, and then how do you respond to the possibility of having a game that, let's say it, uh, God forbid, doesn't really count? You know, how do you respond to that? I know you're going to take care of the players if you Bill O'Brien. You're going to rest some. You're going to do all that. But I'm talking about the players themselves. How do they mentally deal with that? You know, the, the, the history says that you got, at least this season anyway, if you win back-to-back games after a loss, that's been the pattern. But what do you do now that you know you've got a game to give in that last one? If you beat Tampa Bay, doesn't matter. So I'm getting ahead of ourselves. We've got to get Tampa first. But those are some things that I like to think about because it really points to what the coach's job along the way is. Yeah, uh, you brought up something interesting here. You said a game to give going into Saturday. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. a little tiny cushion here, but – they don't want to leave anything on the table going into next week, right? I mean, you you have to just go all out for this one on a short week. How difficult is that? And just the challenge psychologically, motiv- motivation is there, but just the psychological challenge of that, Spencer. Yeah, I mean, it's huge. It, it really is huge. And I think we have to acknowledge that part of human personality. I mean, I think we can say this on morning radio. My dad had this old expression, why does a dog groom himself? Because he can, you know, and I know that sounds rude and vulgar to some people, but, but again, when you know that possibility is there, it takes everything you have, and depending on how you're wired, to recess that, to put that in the back of your mind. 
you know, the bottom line is that they're human beings, and we've known they demonstrated in the past. Otherwise, the Broncos wouldn't have beaten you. So, again, I, I, I will believe it when I see it. I think you have to take this team week by week. They dem- demonstrated at the highest level how to handle a business trip this past week. Let me tell you something. There was not one phase of that game, saving maybe two uh, um, decisions that number four made, that I think wouldn't be in the top tier of performances overall this year in terms of how they responded after being tied and scored, even before you get to that. I think the most important play was actually the field goal block. I think the way that ball set up on the left hash and way, uh, you know, the way that uh, they set up the, the, the stunt, they, they basically moved down a man to create pressure on that, that B gap and put about 1,200 pounds of manhood in that area to create just enough of a difference with a low line and kick to get a hand on it. Angelo did a fantastic job of keeping that mid up there and, and botting it. So I don't think you want to be in a tie ball game on the road given the history of this series. you got to go back to December 27th of 2015 to find where a road team actually won that contest, and, and, and that was the Texans in Tennessee. So the, the tradition has been and the history has been in this series, the home team defends this territory, and until yesterday, and that's been a four-year stretch. So I think that that play, that block punt, to me, along with the interception with Whitney uh, and, and that Reed teamed up on, were the two most significant plays in that game. We're talking with Spencer Tillman. Spencer, this team just overall, like you just said, going on the road and winning a ball game like that after having lost a game to the Denver Broncos the week before. And I asked I asked Kenny about it after you know after the game. Like, what what does this say about your team? In your opinion, what does it say about this team? that they can go on the road and beat Kansas City uh, and they can go to London and play the way they did against the Jags and then go to a hostile environment like Tennessee and get a win on the road when both are 8-5. and five. What does it say about this team's ability to go on the road and play pretty well for the most part? Listen, here's the difficult truth, guys. Um, I used to talk to Nick Saban about this all the time. The greatest ability is dependability. When you can be consistent, I will take a back that may be a beat slower than another one, but I will take the one that will handle the football, who will not make a mental error, and if he's anywhere close to what my peak athlete is, I'm going to take that other back because I know if one has a problem with fumbling the football and he happens to be more athletic, maybe I dial things back and try to get some explosives somewhere else, but you can ill afford to have the turnover. So, again, I think you take that same template or that mindset about what you know is proven to win and you apply it to everything. And that, by the way, is a profound question. It's a simple question, but a profound question. And it's a fair question. You ask those difficult questions because it speaks to the human condition. We all are in those situations. I I remember reading a poem years ago. I think it was um, uh, Gibbons that said, the mind is its own place and in itself can create a heaven out of hell or a hell out of heaven. The bottom line is you create what you're going to do, and that becomes your reality. But the only way you can judge it is after the game. You can sit here and bump your gums and tell me what you're going to do and how you're going to – but the only thing I can judge to determine whether or not you did it is what the score says and what you did as I look at the tape after the game is over with. And until you do that on a consistent enough basis, I won't know what you really are. And that's a fair position for a coach to be in. And you shrug your shoulders. And I think that doubt is part of the psychology as well. Coach doesn't need to necessarily be all in all the time. You need to be reserved and know when to dial it back a little bit to pull your guys back in by – uh, you know, a mission. You just don't say anything. You don't give them praise. You don't do a lot of anything. If you have a team that's duplicitous, you dial it back. You say, I don't know what you guys are. When when you give me four, five, six, seven, eight, nine of these in a row, then maybe we can talk more about it. You're not disrespectful. You just acknowledge the condition they're in right now. 
and you continue to build on them. Spencer, the Bucks have won four games in a row. They've been out of it for a long time. They knew the postseason yep. was not a possibility for a long time. But here they are putting on a show, 7-7. Seven and seven. A winning season would be a nice achievement for them. So that's their motivation right now. And this is another thing. So I want to ask you about that and, and going into Saturday and how fired up they might be for this one. The other thing is this. This is one of those teams. They're number one in rushing yards allowed, 73. However... Number 30 in passing yards allowed because they're in a lot of shootouts. They give it up through the air. Teams are throwing on them because I guess they feel like it's easier. I think the Texans are going to try to run on them. Your thoughts? Yep, absolutely. You don't want to get in a shootout with a guy. And, again, it's not necessarily that you are disrespecting or you put your ego up. You do not want to get in a shootout. The 450 back-to-back plus is impressive, and that's all window dressing what you want to do is shorten this game get your run game working working articulate to your receivers who have performed at a high level hey look guys we're going to try to eat clock we're going to try to run this game but when we hit these explosives we're going to need to hit them to make them defend the pass right but we're not trying to get into a shootout with these guys and so i would run the football i would get ready from carlos Hyde. i've tried to get to that 1200 yard mark you know he should have 150 yards i believe at a minimum he should have 150 I think that that's going to be the game plan coming in. Uh, I think the fact that they're going to be down a receiver is going to make them a little bit more predictable on the offensive side of the ball. Their run game is awful. So I think they're going to be kind of one-dimensional. One, one and I think you've got a chance to really shut them down. I think it's a solid approach to take. I think Romeo will dial something up defensively to give Jim Winston enough of a challenge. But I don't think you need to get exotic with these people. You just need to get a run game, shorten it, uh, get some explosives, and get out of there. He's dead right. I love Florida as much as anybody in the month of December, but I want to get in, get a win, and get out. Get a hat and T-shirt for everybody on the plane, and let's go home. But got to take care of business this week and Saturday before that. All right, a big thanks to Spencer Tillman for joining us on the show. Coming up next, it's 1989 Heisman Trophy winner Andre Ware, who celebrated the 30th anniversary of winning the award Back in 1989 at University of Houston, he was up in New York with the Heisman Ceremony and then joined us on Sunday morning to get ready for the game against Nashville. We'll get his thoughts about the Titans game yesterday. and looking forward to the Bucks coming up on Texans All Access. We've got one final segment of Texans All Access on this wonderful Monday evening from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris. Your Texans are 9-5 and five. And my voice is 0-16. It's struggling. I don't know. Maybe I need a little bit of that Florida weather on Friday and Saturday next week to kind of bring it back. I don't know. But uh, we'll get through the show because we got our good friend Andre Ware joining us. And we talked about any number of things. Unfortunately, we didn't get into Heisman. I wanted, maybe on Wednesday we'll get into that trip because he was giving us a little bit of highlights yesterday as we were getting on a plane to fly out after the win. And it sounded really cool. And that's got to be such a cool fraternity to be a part of. But we talked to Andre about many different things, including what he thought about the win and where it could take this team. Dre, the Texans are 9-5. and five. They clinch a winning season, and they're on their way to a playoff berth if they can win Saturday against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's the best way in. What's your assessment of the situation? Yeah, I mean, you just win. You take care of your own business, and then uh, next, the following week, uh, you can rest some players and – and uh, and get ready for the postseason. So get some guys mended up. So it's it's right there in front of you. Uh, you take care of Tennessee by basically taking care of Tampa Bay. But it won't be easy going on the road 
and the way the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are playing. Bruce Arian is Arians has them playing well. Jameis Winston has played outstanding the last couple of weeks. Yesterday, I think he threw for four four fifty eight and four touchdowns. Uh, it won't be a, an easy deal going into Tampa, but uh, I don't think in any game in the NFL will be is an easy deal, so to speak. We found out found that out the hard way against the Denver Broncos. As Mark and I started the show, we were kind of like two kids on like a dozen pixie sticks. We were kind of all over the place because there were so many different things to kind of talk about in this one. But what's the first thing that stood out to you about the win the Texans got yesterday? Was it special teams? Was it Deshaun to Kenny Stills? Was it Hop in the fourth quarter? Was it the defense? What stood out to you the most about that win yesterday? I think it had to be the defense, Johnny, because early in the game, uh, you know, Tannehill was really struggling. And you're talking about one of the hotter quarterbacks in the league and uh, in the last seven, eight weeks, or basically seven weeks, where he'd gone six and one as a starter. He completed like 73% of his passes. And the following, the, the previous week, he completed about 78 on someone. So uh, to kind of stymie him, I know at one point, he was one for six for just the 60-yard uh, completion up the sideline. Uh, they really had him off balance. And I think that's the thing that stood out because he figured it out at halftime and he came out and scored, what, 21, 21 points uh, in the second half. But in the first half, it was he was totally confused. Andre Ware joining us on Texans Radio. All right, let's get to Jameis Winston here. I want to get back to the game in a moment. But Jameis Winston, that's the quarterback on Saturday, and it just feels so close that this game is just a few days away. Winston leads the league in passing yards, 4,573, 30 touchdowns, but he's got 24 picks. What do you make of Jameis Winston at this stage of his career, Andre, based on what you've seen? I probably guess you haven't seen tons of Winston film yet, but what do you think? Yeah, it's kind of a mixed bag because uh, with every game he's and he's had to play like he's had the last uh, last couple of weeks to where the touchdown interception ratio has flipped itself the way it has. Um, you know, it's it's just about consistency there. And there's so many coaches that have come in and out the door. There's uh, so many players, a lot of turnaround where you're trying to build chemistry with with guys. And and I don't know if fans really understand just how difficult that is uh, to have success at the quarterback position in the NFL when you have a revolving door of players and coaches. That is, it's a tough, tough deal. When you can lock down, I mean, take Tom Brady, for instance, where you have one coach, and uh, and now I think he's going through it a little bit in terms of the chemistry from a player standpoint. Uh, there aren't a whole lot of weapons around Tom Brady, yet he's asked to be the same player he is or has been. You're only as good at that position as what's around you and the consistency within the playbook, and that, that comes with a, a coaching staff that has been there for quite some time. So Jameis has suffered through that. Uh, I think he's finally understanding Bruce Arians' offense and Baron Leftwich, the quarterback and the play caller, the quarterback coach, offensive coordinator and play caller. Uh, they're finally starting to mesh, and, and it wouldn't surprise me at all uh, if they finish the season 9-7 and seven and Jameis is back with a new contract in Tampa. Well, playing this way, man, that guy, is, he's been phenomenal. Now, he'll give you a few, and that, to me, leads me to this point, uh, Dre. If you're a defensive coordinator preparing for the Texans and Stills, Fuller, and Hopkins are all healthy and Carlos Hyde Duke Johnson are both healthy, 
How do you attack stopping this offense? What would what would you do? Because it felt like yesterday there were times where the Titans had really no answers where, okay, we're going to play man coverage because we respect the run, and then they'd burn man coverage. Then there were times where, like, we just got to play zone because we can't cover these guys and drop a couple safeties deep, and then they'd run the ball and pick up seven, eight yards. How would you go about slowing this offense down right now with everybody healthy? Yeah, I think I'd take the Broncos' approach to it. And, and uh, they mix coverages a lot. Uh, you have to have guys that can get after the quarterback and, and guys that are athletic that can get after the quarterback. The Von Miller types that can redirect their bodies and, and create havoc. You've got to have two middle pass rushers that can push the pocket uh, to really uh, not allow – uh, Deshaun wants things break down or he feels the pressure coming from outside to step up into the pocket. I, I would live in some man a little bit because I think you have to. Uh, with him, he'll pick you apart in zone, zone coverage, but you have to have guys on the back end that can hold up the way the Broncos do. And, and yesterday, I think it's proven that, that uh, Tennessee just doesn't have enough. Adoree Jackson was out of that ball game, and, and uh, they had him listed as a starter at at, uh, at one point in uh, in the season, but they don't have enough on the back end to play it. So, therefore, they couldn't do it, and it just was an, a methodical approach that when they did jump into some man, uh, they got gouged for some big plays. So uh, their method of doing it is a little bit different based on personnel, but if you have the personnel the Broncos had, you, you, you could actually slow it down a little bit where you can compete. And even with all of that, all of what I just said, it was a three-point game yesterday. So, you know, it, it wasn't like the Texans went out and, and, uh, and, and blew them out with, you know, put up 38, 40 points. It was a 24-point game, and it was still a game uh, well into the fourth quarter. They could finish drives better. And Bill O'Brien talked about that with Johnny after the game, that they still have to get better at finishing drives because you looked at yeah. the turnover on the uh, first drive where they threw the pick and then – the other yeah, turnover in the second half. Yeah, you, you look at situations like that, Andre. They got to get better, and they definitely were better in the pre-snap penalty department. Only one false start, right? That was Will Fuller's, and holding penalties and things like that. They cut down dramatically on those types of mistakes. So it was a good positive trend, but they got to keep it going into another road game. Yeah, you know, in, in the NFL, you got to be lucky sometimes. And uh, when you play teams, teams are talented. Teams are they get lucky at times when you're unlucky. Um, and yesterday when you throw two interceptions and you're down close to the red zone or you throw one that's, that's picked off in the end zone and brought out and then the other one is, is going in, and you make those types of mistakes, uh, as a good portion or good percentage of the time, you're going to get yourself beat. But when you can overcome it the way they did, and I, uh, I go back to the first half when Tennessee couldn't score a point, because you think about it, they're driving down when Tannehill throws that the uh, reflected interception. They go in there. We're looking at a different ball game because there's points in the first half of that game as opposed to the 21 that they scored mm-hmm. in the second half. You may be looking at a different outcome. So you've got to be lucky uh, at times to win in the NFL. And I think you know, you know, that any coach would tell you in his right mind that hey, it takes a little bit of that to uh, to win sometimes. Dre, when you were in Detroit, did any fans meet you guys at the airport in minus or uh, in minus temperatures at two o'clock in the morning after you guys came back for from a game like the Bills fans did last night? Did y'all see this? <laughs> oh wow, they were they meeting were him at, at the airport. I don't remember that one happening. Yeah, that's yeah. Crazy. I was gonna say, I was gonna say, how 
don't know how much you've gotten to see of Buffalo because we haven't played Buffalo this year. But Josh Allen has made some strides. Not mm-hmm. perfect. They look really good right. on Thanksgiving. But they get a big win at Pittsburgh. It's the first time they played on Sunday night, I think, on NBC for forever. And they, they were tough defensively. Buffalo's going to be a tough out for whoever they play when they get to playoffs because they clinch the playoff spot. What do you think of Buffalo going forward? Yeah, I mean, Josh Allen, he, he, uh, Josh can basically causes a lot of, uh, a lot of concern for you because he's way more athletic than you think. And, and he is a willing runner and that forces you defensively to play 11 on 11. And so you, you go back and look at, uh, you just comparing them and they may be a, a foe of the, of the Texans in the playoffs. You go back and look at, uh, the teams that have beaten the Texans this year. And the majority of them had guys that aren't afraid to pull the ball down and make plays with their legs. I mean, the guys that are stationary that, that can't run, there's it, a great deal of success that's had there. But the ones that frustrate you force you to play 11 on 11. And he's certainly that, that type of player. He's, the consistency's growing in his game in terms of the passing game and him seeing things more and more. They've got a, a running game that can kind of keep you off balance or just enough to where the play action works. And defensively, they're getting enough. And so uh, it, it's a dangerous team, a young team that they don't know any better right now. They're just having fun. It hasn't happened in a long time in Buffalo. I guess they, they will make the playoffs now two out of the last three years. But uh, this kind of consistency and winning hasn't happened in Buffalo a lot, which explains the, the fans being at the airport at that hour. Oh, my gosh. To clinch a playoff berth? Really? If you beat the Patriots, beat them at the airport. Yeah. That, that was not airport yeah. greeting worthy. And besides, Pittsburgh had the ball late a couple of times. Chance to win that game. Duck Hodges. Turned it over. D- yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, this is a fan base that has fans jumping out of the Heinz the, uh, Field stands onto a table, mm. trying, you know, doing a wrestling move on the table as yeah. they do. Bill's Mafia. Hashtag Bill's Mafia. This is a crazy fan base. They, they, they're nuts. They're, they're, they're a different level. Dre, you're calling the Academy Sports and Outdoors Texas Bowl with Oklahoma State and Texas A&M. And have you done the bowl before? I know you're on the committee and everything and highly involved and a gridiron legend. Have it, you called it, the game? It has been a long, long time. I think the bowl was called something else and owned by someone else and, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. So it's been a minute. It's been a long, long time uh, since I've called it. But uh, it's good to to, uh, to be a part of it. And this uh, this magnitude, and then uh, as well being able to stay home for the holidays, and then I got to go right back out. It's short lived because I go right back out to Birmingham to call Boston College and Cincinnati uh, on the second. So, but this one I'm looking forward to. It's a great matchup with with the Aggies and and uh, and Oklahoma, the Oklahoma State Cowboys, uh, two Big Eight or Big Twelve teams at at one point or another that faced one another in conference. So this should be a good one. Oklahoma State has a a great following, and we know about the Aggies here in Houston. I love Texas football. I love football of all kind. I cannot wait for the Academy Sports and Outdoors Texas Bowl. Oklahoma State taking on Texas A&M. I just love having a rivalry game back and having it in a bowl game where you can resuscitate in some sense what a rivalry rivalry like that was when they were both together in the Big 12. I'm I'm really looking forward to Oklahoma State taking on Texas A&M. News last week, Justin Matabike, the star defensive lineman for A&M, declared for the draft and said he will not play in that Texas Bowl. Not heard about Chuba Hubbard just yet. Hopefully he's going to play because the city of Houston has not seen Chuba Hubbard. Whew, get ready. He is fun to watch. Got to thank Mark Vandermeer, of course. 
our good friend Andre Ware, our good friend Spencer Tillman, all of you guys are all of our good friends for listening to the show and supporting Texans Radio. Colts v. Saints coming up next. Don't turn that dial. Thank you again, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow as always. Go Texans.